Beyond the Ball, fueling your faith and family through sport. Welcome to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. Welcome back to Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Justin Gerstung. Back for another episode. Coach Klump, before we dive into our stuff, I just want to give a real shout out to all of our listeners that have uh, been tuning in. Um, such great support and uh, welcoming that our friends and family have shown us and, uh, and a couple others as well. So how are you doing tonight, Coach? Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, when you first came up with this idea... We both agreed that it was is going to be a little bit out of our comfort zone and a passion project. So anybody that's listening, we certainly uh, appreciate you guys, and we're we're hoping to serve, you know, anybody that's out there that's listening. So thank you for tuning in. Yeah, absolutely. How about some formal celebrations? Yeah, you know what? I was thinking about this one this week, and I I gotta go with something that. Unfortunately, I was not able to accomplish over the COVID closure, and that was to learn something brand new that I've always said that I was going to. Like I said, okay, now I'm going to sit down and learn how to play the piano because I know your son plays the piano, and I've always been infatuated with it. I saw yeah. like a dueling piano going um, one time at this restaurant. I thought it was the coolest thing, so... I've already said, once I get some time, once I get some time, once I get some time, I'm going to learn how to do this. And um, unfortunately, it did not happen with, uh, you know, moving into a new house and, and grades and school and that. So I want to celebrate anybody that um, had put put their, you know, grinded out um, something brand new that they've always been wanting to do when they when they found a little bit of time over this COVID closure. So I celebrate you. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. My celebration as we're taping this episode, um, Major League Baseball is firing back up today and the NBA season is just around the corner as well. So I'm going to celebrate, you know, professional sports with maybe getting back onto the field or getting back into the gym um, for for sports addicts like yourself and myself and mm. a lot of people out there. It's been really difficult uh, not having those sports on TV. It's been nice. I've caught up on some reading, yeah. um, but I'm just celebrating the fact that uh, we get to watch a little bit of professional sports and some live competition. Yeah, it's I'm actually be surprised that um, they're giving it a go um, simply because, you know, for the basketball situation, they're, their next season, the 2020-2021 season is going to be starting here in a couple months in October, you know. So um, with the baseball, I kind of figured that it would get up and running. I was looking forward to that. And uh, But basketball, I'm very excited that they are going to continue the season and see what happens. Yeah, awesome. It's, it's going to be so good. Um, I can't wait. I've just seen some of the preliminary scrimmages and uh, I have some favorite players, too, which we can get into at a later time. But um, I'm just ready to see some guys shoot the ball a little bit, get, the, get some shots up. So, um, as always, we always start with uh, a verse. You got a verse for us tonight? Actually, I'm going to take a little detour from the verse because a very good friend of mine and his family for my birthday just recently got me this wonderful book called The Garden by John Gordon. And I wanted to share something with our listeners that he wrote um, and awesome. it says, the devil will fill our minds with lies, lies that we aren't good enough, that our future is hopeless, that we don't have what it takes to succeed, that no one loves us or will love us, 
that our best days are behind us, that we aren't smart enough, tall enough, good enough, that our dreams won't happen, that our mistakes of the past will define us. And I was just thinking about that um, and how much growth that has been um, happening, even through this closure with a lot of my friends and family and moving, moving, you know, like we, we talk about playing present and having faith that, that the good Lord has, has this just perfect plan for us and not to worry about what's happened in the past because, you know, we just got to grow from it and be resilient. Yeah. I mean, with such great words of encouragement, I think, um, as I'm raising four children of my own, I think with two of them in middle school slash high school right now, I think those are words that our young people need to hear because, and I have to remind myself of that as a parent because they they will make mistakes, right? And you want them yeah. to fail safely because now is the time to to do that failing because you're in a in a good environment to maybe bounce back and. But that's not always easy when you're in high school and you're at those, you know, younger ages experience, you know, always gives you, you know, 2020 vision after Mm -hmm. the fact. But when you're that age and you're experiencing it for the first time with friendships and who you should be friends with and who you shouldn't be friends with and what kind of standard you should hold yourself to in the classroom, you know, all of those setbacks can really get you down. Um, so those words are really encouraging. You just got to keep moving forward and try to make the best of the situation and, and challenge yourself. So I really love those words. They're yeah, so you good. know, life is, it gives you the test first, you know, and oftentimes we're going to fail and and then learn the lesson. Like in school, we're, you know, we're getting taught the lesson, a, a lot of different creative ways to learn information. And then we take the test. But But in life, we're throwing a bunch of different tests in. And right now it seems like our, the younger generation that's out there is just so afraid to put themselves out there and fail. But that's what it's all about. Yeah, I think, you know, as, as we move along, some of the kids that really um, inspire me in terms of former students and now graduates as they move into college are the ones that really embrace their time in high school. And I know it's not a great situation for every student and every kid has their challenges. It's not going to always be easy, but some of the kids that really seem to thrive are the ones that put themselves out there and are not afraid of what other people think. Um, And they're not ashamed of their success and they're not ashamed of their effort. Um, They just are relentless in their pursuit of being the best person they can be. And so uh, such good words tonight. Yeah, they're constantly ch- chasing their purpose, what they what they can get into instead of popularity. Just like you said, I, I celebrate those students that are constantly putting themselves out there, trying new things, um, meeting new people because it's tough. Um, so, yeah, just keep keep doing what you're doing, and, and don't let anybody detour you from what you love to do. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I think that is a perfect segue. Uh, into our next conversation, which is with our guest tonight. Um, Coach Mike McDonald is going to be joining us um, from Damon College. Uh, Coaches run the gamut through a lot of levels of college basketball and has a bunch of sons that he coaches up as well in his own household. And so I'm really looking forward to getting his thoughts on those same 
words and ideas about just putting yourself out there and, and getting after it. So Coach McDonald is going to join us. Coach, any thoughts on him before we welcome him no, in? No, he's, he's exactly why we ha- we wanted to have this podcast, basketball, faith, family, um, working as a unit, moving together as a family, just some great stuff. I can't wait to hear from him. Awesome. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with Coach McDonald. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Ball with Justin Gerstung and Eric Klump on the Hoopheads Pod Network. Our roster of shows includes Thrive with Trevor Huffman, the CoachMaze.com podcast, and our latest release, Players Court with Joseph Harris. If you're an NBA fan, be sure to catch one of our new team-focused shows, Cavalier Central with Justin Matcham, Nuck If You Buck with Devin Zanskis, and Grizz and Grind with Elijah Campbell. We'll be adding more NBA markets in the weeks and months ahead, so keep up with our latest updates on Twitter, at HoopHeadsPod. I'd love for you to check out our flagship, the HoopHeads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel. The go-to podcast for basketball coaches at any level. Now let's get back to Justin and Eric. All right, welcome back to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Klump and uh, myself, Coach Justin Gerson. We're joined on this episode by Coach Mike McDonald. Coach Mack, how you doing? I'm doing great, Justin. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks Coach- for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We appreciate, uh, especially during this uh, COVID time period here where everybody's on a break to get a chance to talk to some coaches and uh, see how they kind of lead their programs beyond the ball. Um, so I'm going to give it over to Eric right away and get this conversation started. All right, Coach, thanks for coming on with us and taking a little time out from the Yankees game here, the opening <laughs> night. So um, we always start out the pod thanks, we know getting you know to like know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you had to put that out there. All right, we're losing listeners for me. but um, So we always start out the pod um, asking some of our coaches, and, and Coach has been doing it for such a long time in the Western New York area, so maybe somebody that has been a huge mentor to you. So we call those um, the hero section, somebody who's been a um, big-time hero or a mentor for you in the game of basketball. Well, I think you look at that two ways. If you look at it as a, a mentor, um, I had a couple guys I worked for at Canisius College. One was uh, Marty Marbach, who hired me. And the other guy who was really a big mentor was John Beeline, um, who everybody knows was the Michigan coach and was Cavaliers coach for a minute. And uh, um, I think so, you know, especially John was very much a mentor. I've also found that I think you find mentors a lot in some of your peers, you know, and I, I always say this. I had a great chance when I was at Canisius. I worked for I worked for John and for Marty, but I worked with some great guys. Um, and, and some of my closest friends that I talk to all the time, you know, Dave Nyland, who is the head coach at Penn State Barron, who's won over 500 games. Kevin Broderick is the head coach at Nazareth in Rochester. Uh, Phil Seymour, who just stepped down as the head coach at Fredonia State, is a guy I'm very close to, too. So it's, you know, I, I think sometimes you, you can't forget that you have mentors who are older, but you have, uh, you know, the, your peers can be really good mentors, too. Coach, I think that's an amazing um, comment by you. I think one of the reasons we're even here tonight, you know, doing this podcast is because Eric and I are not only like high school, 
you know, former rivals, but now we're coaching rivals as well and really good friends. And I, I would think we, we say to each other all the time, like iron sharpens iron, just the idea that, you know, these coaches that you're coaching against and with that are your friends are making you better all the time. And I would agree with that statement wholeheartedly. He, mentors are, uh, can come in all shapes and sizes, I think. Yeah, without a doubt. And it was, you know, it was weird because I was at Canisius, um, and then I get let go there, and I ended up at Madai. And Madai was in the league with Penn State Barron, and Dave Nyland's the head coach of Penn State Barron, as I said, hugely successful. And, uh, you know, I, we had to go against each other. And uh, that's, that's not easy, you know, but that's, that's kind of what happens. Do you guys ever get together? Um, I know Justin and I um, work a lot of camps together where we can see and almost steal uh, so much information and drills. Did you get that opportunity when you were a young coach to work with all those guys that you were talking about? Yeah, you know what? Um, we did that. I, I kind of like you guys. I, I grew up working camps, you know, and I always say that if people want to know, talk about how, how you're going to connect with people, you know, and connect in the coaching business. I always, I'm a big believer in working camps. And even though the camp business is kind of obviously is on hold this summer, but right. it's, uh, it's a little different than it was back when, when I was breaking in the business. I, I think that's a great way to kind of network and make, meet new friends and, and find people that you can learn from and steal an idea, steal a drill. I mean, uh, let's be honest. We all steal and copy and, and plagiarism is accepted kind of in our profession. And from, from that point of view. <laughs> yeah. I think if I were to jump in, I mean, I'm 40 years old this year. And I think looking back, I started working your camp, I think was the first camp I ever worked when I was in college back when you were at Canisius, and it's the, I think you're spot on. Some of the guys that I met at that camp, I'm still friends with and, you know, connect with today from Coach Rappel, who was at Hutch Tech, to Coach Shunk, who's been on our program. Like, those guys just gave me opportunities as a young guy to try and figure it out at your camp. And, you know, as it's progressed, I mean, those are the relationships that you keep for a while. Well, yeah, Justin, I remember when you were working – the camp at Canisius, and then you followed me over to Madai camp, and then all of a sudden you started having kids, and you couldn't work camp anymore. Huh. <laughs> yeah, which is part of this podcast, which is about finding balance between the coaching and the family. Yeah. It's always a struggle. It's uh, always a struggle. You pick, you pick the right thing. Spend time with the family. You can always come back and work camp later. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. Coach, in your travels, um, what kind of hardships, can you think of any that come to mind that maybe – you had to work your way through um, that have, that moved you forward as a person? Well, you know, and, and you had tipped me off a little bit about you were going to do the hero and the hardship thing. And I think uh, the hardship, you know, first of all, I was the head coach at Canisius back on May 5th, 2004, when we had a young man, Richard Jones, pass away. And let me tell you, there is no greater hardship than that. Um, right. The walk down to the locker room to tell the team, that he had passed away. He had an enlarged heart. He collapsed during a drill. I mean, that that's a real hardship. I mean, you know, sometimes somebody says, oh, I lost a triple overtime game, something yeah. like that. That's not a hardship. You realize what, what you're in this for and what you're doing this for. And maybe when you're younger, you know, you don't, uh, you know, you don't, you don't make the connection that it's really about people. It's about basketball. And, and, you know, I always say it's no different 
than teaching math or teaching history. It's just you're teaching basketball, and our classes are usually a little bit longer each day. They're about two hours, yeah. you know, at the end of the day. But but that I think is really important to to never lose sight of that that the the people are, are why you get into this. So uh, that that's the ultimate hardship, you know. Um, you know, and then I'll, I'll tell you this too um, that we Justin we went in, you know. I got let go at Canisius 2006. I was hired as a head coach at 30 years old of a Division One team. You know, where there were about 300 mm-hmm. jobs, right? I was 30 years mm-hmm. old. I was fired when I was 40. So, you know, it can be that that can be uh, humbling. It can be, you know, mm-hmm. disconcerting. It can make you do you want to keep doing it? And yeah. uh, you know, and and uh, I go back to then when you say a hero, the, the real hero to me is my my wife Mora, who believed in me and you know and and you know she kind of agreed with me when i said you know i'm gonna i'm gonna take a division three job i'm gonna prove i want to coach you know and and right. uh, she supported me on that which is not always easy to do and it's definitely tougher you know when you're doing it in the same town where you were just let go you right. know yeah. and, and sometimes and uh and i think it's a more tougher on the family maybe than it is because uh, you know, as coaches, you get kind of wrapped up in your own world and warped. Right. You're, you're kind of just really focused and laser focused on what you're doing. But you know, the ancillary stuff, the the stuff on the outside, that kind of falls off and hits your family sometimes too. So you talk about a hero. That's where I would say that's a true hero right there. But you know, that, that was a hardship. You know, you getting fired, but you you learn from it and you bounce back, right? You you, you tell your teams all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Coach, if I could just jump in real quick. Um, when you when your player passed away, I remember that. That was just like a tragic – Western New York was all grieving, you know, when that occurred. We had a player uh, at Akron High School, a high school football player, that tragically passed away in a car accident, you know, the week before – um, his senior season with us. What were some of the ways that you kind of addressed and handled that with your team? Well, because I know, because I know for us personally, that was like you just said, it's all about people, and that was one of the most difficult things that we've ever had to do as a staff is try to to help our athletes and ourselves through that. So, what were some of the things that you guys did, if you can recall? Well, we, you know, what we tried to do is remember the good times. And focus on the good times, and it it's tough. And as you know, Justin, from going through that, when you're you're going through that, it's uh, you know you have you know kids who are 17, you know probably in your case 16, 18, 19. That's that's young to go have to go through and deal with a tragedy Absolutely. like that. You know, and and for them to have to deal with it was tough. And you have to you know, but it's part of life. And uh, you know, so we. We we kept close tabs on everybody, and uh, you know we also had to deal with he died during a workout, you know, and and he had an enlarged heart, so we had all our guys then got uh, got checked out by right. a cardiologist, and you know some guys weren't worried, but other guys were like, hey, what is my heart okay? So we were able to. The college was great; they provided us access to get to our uh, with our training staff get to a cardiologist. And and let them get tested and and, and X-ray and everything just to to see to make sure kind of uh, just kind of calm any of their fears. But uh, I, I think the biggest thing yeah. we did was we, we we grieved together, we stayed together, and we had a 
a good group, and it was uh, the next season. We it start we started off very poorly, um, but we kind of hung in there together, and it was really cool. And and uh, you know we ended up having a really good run at the end of the year. We had some great wins, and uh, you know we ended up finishing like 500 in the conference, which isn't great, but it was you know we were we were picked for last or whatever, and we just mm-hmm. we, we kind of rallied, and it was good to see. And it was great to see the uh, the resilience of the kids. And we always remember that we, one of the real, real neat things about this and, and, you know, this pandemic has been awful for the country, but I think it's opened up new things, whether it's you guys starting a podcast or me learning how to zoom, which, you know, just turn on the computer, <laughs> yeah. as you guys know, is, right. a, is an adventure for me. But like, uh, so Richard Jones passed away May 5th, 2004. Um, we did a, uh, um, we did a Zoom call on May 5th with some of the former players at Kenesha, some of the guys that okay. organized it. We had done one earlier, and then we decided let's do one on May 5th. And uh, everybody had a toast to, to Rich, and it was pretty cool. You know, it was cool to see the, these guys staying together all these years later, you know, uh, 15, 16 years later, still friendly, connecting, you know, same jokes, all that stuff. So it was, right. it, was it really made me proud because – now these guys have moved on. They, they're in a different stage of their life. They have kids. You know, it's it's totally different. So it's a, um, you know, one of the positives when you look at everything we've gone on, gone through this is the uh, the way it can bring people back together and connect people again. And that's uh, that's that's definitely a highlight there. Coach, one last question about uh, the situation. How did you and your staff and maybe the school know that? It was an appropriate time to get back to basketball and use the game as a to celebrate what he brought to your team. Um, you know, Eric, that's a really good question, and I don't know if you know. It's kind of a feel thing. Um, that was such a uh, just a crazy time because it happened in May, and then you know we were getting close to exam week. They're finishing classes. Um, they had a big service on campus it happened like on a tuesday i think and that saturday they had a big service on campus in the gym and then like the following week the guys took exams and then we went to got on a bus and went to boston because richard was from boston and they mm-hmm. had a funeral at home that weekend in boston so we we drove out and uh, the guys could go and everything and so it was just you know, we spent a lot of time together at that point yeah. around the bus. And then uh, um, we actually, uh, Emerson College in Boston had one of the former deans at Canisius was there and she hooked it up so our guys could stay uh, in the dorms because they were empty at that point. And we stayed in the dorms and uh, um, we went to the funeral and came back and just, you know, kind of very surreal week without a doubt. And we... Uh, but I think, you know, we got a chance to be together for a while. And and then guys, you know, kind of slowly went at their pace. I think, you know, grieving is something you do at your own pace. Yeah. And there's no textbook for it. There's no website for it. There's no, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. And so we kind of let everybody kind of grieve their own way and, and deal with it their own way and try to just be there for them. Because I think that's one of the best things you can do as a coach is just be there. You know, as simple as that sounds, but just be there, you know, be the person you can, they can talk to. I think that's real important sometimes. 
All right, Coach. So um, I know you've hit on a couple of the highlights, but uh, anything else that you would like to share on that front with a highlight, of, you know, in the game of basketball or in life for you? Well, I think, you know, obviously a highlight in life is uh, my family. You know, that's a that's the biggest thing. I have four boys and they're all, you know, different ages now. Two have graduated, played in college. One's playing in college right now. Uh, Nick is playing at Niagara. And then I have uh, Mark, who's going to be a freshman at Canisius High School. So we, you know, uh, that, that's the truest highlight. Um, if you're asking for, you know, a, a highlight, I, you know, the generic kind is like, Hey, if we, you know, the connection you've made with, with young people and their, and being a part of their lives and seeing them, not only seeing them graduate, but like I said, seeing them in a zoom call is really cool. too. uh, you know, I think if, if you wanted to talk basketball wise, I mean, you pick games and comebacks or, you know, just like you pick losses and, you know, everything like that. And I, right. I, I, I've been a part of some really cool moments. Um, I think, you know, a couple that stand out was, you know, I, after I got let go of Canisius, I ended up at Madai, which was right around the corner from Canisius. And it had been a terrible program. And they had been 4-46 and the two years before, um, before we got there. And we went there and... The first game we played was at Case Western in in Cleveland, and you know, people listening might not even know where Case Western is, right? But uh, to us, it was like going to play the Celtics, you know, and right. it was their tournament, and and we ended up being down and coming back and winning. I still remember standing outside that locker room, and uh, I get goosebumps thinking about it. Gabe Michael was one of my assistants, yeah. uh, Chris Moore, and Todd Kane. And they were wanted to go in the locker room. I said, sit back and just listen because that's the greatest sound a coach can hear is your team working so hard and winning and having them just celebrate like that right. is, a, is an awesome, awesome thing. So uh, I think that and then, uh, you know, um, I got lucky, you know, we had some really good players at Madai and I think our second in 2010 – we went to the we went to the NCAs for the second year in a row, and afterward, I remember we went. We didn't even have really a locker room. We had like a dining room. We changed it. And uh, after <laughs> I the remember. game, yeah, after the game, we went in, and uh, you know, I went in, and we they dumped water on me. You know, guys are jumping around. It was great. And uh, um, I, I I remember bringing my wife in and the kids because, and I just said this because we had a lot of guys. Who had transferred into the program? Guy, uh, Mike Birkin had been at Fredonia State. Uh, Kelly Candelo, um, all kind of like Rochester, Western New York guys who had who had transferred back. Ben Cop had been at Houghton and came back and played first. Was a great player down at Franklinville. Uh, and so we, I said, you know, we have a lot of guys in this room who nobody really wanted. Uh, Chris Moscato was playing first football at Mercyhurst. Came back with our point guard. Right. The all-time assist leader. And I said, there are a lot of guys who nobody wanted, including the coach. But when you band together, good things can happen. And it took, like, not just me, but it took my family, everybody, and those kids. And it was just really a good, a cool, cool, cool moment. And uh, I'll give you one more highlight. I'll bore you with one more. It's the same thing, locker room. My first year, I take the Damon job in September of 2014. So it was the 14-15 season. And uh, we weren't eligible for the NCAA tournament yet. And after uh, 
uh, at the end of the year, we played in what's called the USCAAs, the United Small College Athletic Association, and we got a chance to go play in the uh, in the national tournament, the USCAAs, and Damon had never won it, and our guys had really kind of wanted to get there, and we went there, and our team was like, we had two guys who had torn ACLs, we were down to about really seven guys, it was kind of just, you know, crazy, and but three days, we just banded together, and we played great, and I still, I still have the video on my phone of the guys in the locker room afterward, uh, when we walked in, and they're throwing water and going crazy, and it's just those it's type awesome. of moments, <laughs> those type of moments are, I think, you know, are, are really cool, because you get to see the kids, and especially with this group of guys, Gerald Beverly, Jordan Green, Kyle Clifford, guys who would, uh, you know, who would been playing in that tournament never had a chance to win supreme hannah was our point guard right. had never played for two years and he in that tournament and yeah. he got the chance and he was great great and they just were like you know they were so happy to win that tournament and and it was just it was just really cool for them <laughs> to see and uh from, to just know that he had a small yeah. part in it so, Coach, you were yeah, talking about when you arrived at um, Damon College and what their program looked like. And I just wanted to ask you how, how you felt, like what, what were some keys to bringing in guys at that time and changing the culture? Because uh, it's a big buzzword right now. Because yeah. I remember like in 2010 when I first moved up to varsity, like all of the top players in Western New York want, were, were heading to Damon, where before yeah. no one was heading to Damon. And now you got there and you're turning the program around. What do you think were, were the keys to making that happen? Well, you know, I was lucky. When I got to Damon, Eric, I was – they had uh, – yeah, Don Silveri had been here and he had done a really nice job of getting kids um, from Western New York and had some guys. but. You know, we just kind of, I was lucky because Bridget Nyland was the athletic director at the time. And uh, her brother is Dave Nyland, who's one of my closest friends. It's, you know, the, the circle, how it all fits, you know, the people right. you, you connect with. And, and and so Bridget, had they had made a change at coach. Bridget said they were interested in interviewing me. And originally I said no, because I was at Madai. I knew we were going to have a good team at Madai, and I liked it. But, you know, in the end, I just, it was just too good of an opportunity to pass up the, the chance to go Division Two, to have some scholarship money to do that. Um, and, and the, the way Damon was fixed is for students, everything. It was just, there were a lot of really positive, really a lot of positives about the Damon job. So when I took it, you know, they had had a history of winning, but it had been different in that we were moving full time to Division Two and it was, you know, it's something different, something unique mm -hmm. for this area. And uh, well, I think we've been able to capitalize with, you know, we've been really good in the 716 and the 585 at, at keeping kids close to home and giving them a chance to play in front of family and, and friends and uh, um, kind of build on the tr tradition that's been here. Yeah, Coach, if I could jump in real quick. I, as a Madai alum, when they – when after working for you – uh, camp at Canisius, and then you got hired to the Madai program. I was so excited when that happened, and that's what you mentioned earlier in the pod about me coming and working camp over there. That was that was my home base, so I was super excited. And then when you moved to Damon, that's where my wife went to college, 
and did her undergrad there. So I was even more excited. You kept getting closer and closer to where I live out in Akron. It just made it easier and easier for me to come and catch your games. But what are you thinking about, like you said, the 716 and 585 for our listeners, that's the Buffalo and Rochester, New York area codes. What are, what are some of the keys other than, you know, family just getting to see them um, that you think is attractive for them to come to Damon? Well, I think I'm I'm starting to get worried that any, any more people in your family have colleges. I might be going to that one next. I don't know. <laughs> um, I I think Justin, the big thing for for us is obviously the, the lure of Division Two, with some scholarship money for the chance to get a scholarship. You know, is a is a is a big deal. Um, so I think people look for that, like, hey, this is something. You know, I can try and get a basketball scholarship and help pay for the cost of education. I think the appeal of Damon. We're a small school with a small class size. It's a really good academic school, um, kind of a hidden gem. You know, people are starting to learn about it, but really realize how difficult the school it is. I'm sure right. your wife will tell you that. Absolutely. Um, and uh, and so I think that's big. And then I, I, I think the fact that, you know, we've, we've tried to treat this like a Division One program, even though we play Division Two. We look at we've played, you know, we kind of have an ongoing series with the University of Buffalo. We have, right. you know, we played Syracuse this past year. We played Siena. We, you know, we played Canisius. Ironically, my first game I coached uh, at Damon was uh, at, at the Kessler Center against Canisius. Right. So hmm. it was, uh, you, really. know, you know, it, it just um, we we will pl- we play a really cool schedule. We're going to different places, you know, and, and playing. We played uh, even just this past year, we played the number one team in the country, played the number four team in the country. We beat the number four team in the country. We got as high as number eight in the country in the, in the national ranking. So I think for us to see people see that success and say, hey, you know, here's a chance where I can be close to home and play at a high level. And, uh, yeah, it's not Division One, but it's still really good basketball. I was on the phone today with a guy who's a basketball junkie in West New York. And he said, boy, I come to your games. And I see how good the level of basketball is, and it really is uh, at Division Two. Yeah, it's so good. It's really good basketball. Um, and a lot of local talent makes it easy for um, the local coaches like yeah. Eric and I to get there and really appreciate it and buy in because we're rooting for guys that we've either coached or coached against. And speaking of some of those guys, a lot of your coaches, and Eric and I obviously – coaching at the high school level have followed in the footprints of our former coaches by now coaching basketball ourselves. But you've had a lot of your former players go on to coach uh, at either the high school level or the collegiate level. What do you think has been so transformational about your connection with them that they've tried to enter that profession as well? I mean, there's a bunch, right? Mark Coppola is one. Keith Hack is one. I could go yeah. on and on. Yeah, Mike, what do you Mike, think? It, yeah, yeah, Joe Pollock, Roy Hart. Uh, right. You know, uh, Mike Perkins down the head coach at SUNY Maritime. It, it, you know what? Uh, I go Adam Stockwell's at Hamilton. He was an assistant at Canisius for me. Um, I, I, you know what? I, I don't know if there's one thing. I, I hope. Just like I learned from John Beeline that you can balance family and coaching and that it can be a very rewarding experience and a very rewarding career, even though you're not making the $8 million that John Calipari makes or Coach K makes, you know, that type of thing. 
you know, right. but you, you know, people sometimes get caught up in that a little bit. And I think you, you realize you can have a really good career and, uh, and really enjoy what you're doing and, uh, and really have a good impact, uh, on people's lives. And I think that's, that's what we've always tried to do. And, um, I, I'm hoping that that's what those guys see. And it's, 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 uh, to me, it's awesome when I see guys who are coaching, whether they're coaching high school, whether they're coaching college, whatever. Uh, you know, I know you had Billy Beeline on. Billy worked for me for a year at Madai, um, when he was kind of bouncing around, wasn't sure what he was going to do. And it worked out, you know, great for him. And when he's done an unbelievable job at NCCC. Um, so I think, you know, I, hopefully that what it's shown is that it's a, it is a way you can impact people's lives and give people uh, a chance to have a lot of fun and learn some values through the game of basketball. Coach, you talked about um, the advice John gave you about the balance. Um, now, what would you say to a younger Coach Mac as a, a piece of advice, either for um, balancing that life or, or maybe in, in coaching in general? What do you think would be a great piece of advice you would want to tell your younger self? I would say, remember, it's about the people. Remember what's important. You know, uh, obviously, everybody's worried about the wins, the losses, right? All those things. But in the end, I think you got to remember that it's the kids you're trying to help. Um, You know, majority of the kids that I coach, majority of the kids that you coach, majority of the kids that most coaches coach are not going to the NBA. You know, and, uh, you know, you guys are coaching high school and hopefully you'll get them to where they maybe go play in college. But the ones who don't, you're hoping that through athletics, they're going to learn how to deal with adversity. They're going to learn how to deal with success too, which is important sometimes and, and a really good lesson for younger kids to learn. You know, um, they're going to learn that, Hey, you're going to be able to, to deal, to, to hang in there when things are, are tough and, and you're going to be able to figure out a way and how to work with other people and how to meet, you know, deal with people from all walks of life who may not look like you, may not sound like you, may not have a similar uh, background as you. But it could be somebody that you are, you know, that can be a really, um, can become really close friends with. So I think all those things, I think, are the most important thing you have to remember. Yeah, you like the wins. The wins are important. But, uh, you know, the wins and losses tend to fade away. It's it's the moments and it's it's the the seeing the growth of the human beings is the most important thing. Well so, said. Yeah, really well said. So, coach, you you mentioned the the stable of boys that you have at your house, and having <laughs> having having four kids of my own, I have three girls and a son. Um, what has your experience been coaching your? kids because I know and I know some coaches are in this position I'm in a unique position where I will coach my son I coach my daughters and some of their travel teams what are some you know experiences that you've had some pieces of advice and wisdom for coaches that will be coaching their own kids because I feel like you've probably coached your own kids at some point correct I have and it's been the best thing I've ever done I, I mean that um I was I always tell a story, and it's pretty funny. My son Patrick, who's now in the Navy down in Charleston, South Carolina, had a unbelievable Division three career, um, where he was like a Division three All American. And Pat, that's my bragging right there. It's my fatherly brag right there. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but he, uh, but Pat was probably nine years old, eight years old, 
They're nine years old when I got let go at Canisius, right? And uh, probably in about third grade at St. Ben's, uh, we're, we're at St. Benedict's school, which is right around the corner from where we live. And uh, when he came home, you were worried. I was worried about how how the boys going to react, because especially Matt and Pat had grown up. They were, you know, they'd be behind the bench at all our games. They'd be, you know, at the Carrier Dome. They were at Madison Square Garden making layups when we were playing down there. So they they had a, you know, it was different. And and so like I came home and we talked, and I said I'm going to be here when I get off the bus. I'm going to tell them what happened. And the first thing Pat looked at me, he said, "Good, now you can coach my team." <laughs> nice. And he was right. And I said, you're damn right I am, Pat. And uh, the next year I coached the St. Ben's JV basketball team. And then I right. actually got good enough to move up to the varsity. Um, nice. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, I coached uh, Nick, who is now in college. I coached him in Little League from T-ball all the way through, uh, you know, sixth grade or, you know, 12 years old when he got through majors. And my youngest guy, Mark, I coached him too. And I got the chance to coach him. and. In basketball, just this year, I finished up coaching St. Ben, my last team. When we, uh, you talk about a heartbreak. You want a heartbreak? We lost by one in the championship game. I'm down in Washington D.C. getting ready for a conference tournament game, oh. and we're playing the diocesan championship oh. at St. Oh, Mary's wow. of Lanca- Lancaster, a team we had beaten by about eh, 15 points earlier in the year. You know, we played them. And we yeah. lose by one oh. and a miss, miss, two missed free throws and a missed layup at the buzzer. So, you know, it's a, you know, but that, that's heartbreak. But, you know, again, it was a lot of fun, really good group of kids to coach. And, and, and so I got to meet a lot of kids and, and, and be a part of my kids' lives. So the advice I'd say is do it in a heartbeat. Remember the record does not go on your resume. You're not, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, I can't believe, I'll tell you the number of people you ran into who, you know, were so excited that they beat, beat my team. Like they were beating right. me in a one-on-one coaching day, <laughs> coach me or something, you know, or, or people like, you know, it, it, it's incredible. You know, some of the parents you saw and you saw coaching and you're like, that guy probably shouldn't be coaching kids. But, right. uh, you know, it's, I, I think to remember the kids are there to have fun. And just like we said, most high school kids aren't going to play in college, and most college kids aren't going to play pro. A lot of grammar school kids aren't going to play in high school. And mm-hmm. so, you know what? Just have some fun coaching it. Make sure they have fun. And uh, kids need exercise. They need uh, togetherness and bonding, and it's a great way to do it, whether it was coaching Little League or coaching basketball. I think it was it was awesome to do. Coach, they need dipping dots is what they need. Yes, yes you do. Dip- Definitely no dipping that. Good, good plug for the camp right there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, Coach, you're talking about your wins and losses record. Now we're going to talk about the most important one in the backyard. When do the boys get a little bit too much for the old man, or d- does it never get to that point? <laughs> and, and, Coach, before you go, before you go, what is your philosophy? Coach Clump, I love that question, and I'm just going to add to it. When do you – let them win, or is it ever a situation where you don't let them win? What's your philosophy on that? <laughs> my wife still laughs because when my two oldest guys, Matt and Patrick, were little, they were big hockey fans. The Sabres were in the height of the Dominic Hasek years. Okay, and we would go yeah. down in the basement and play like knee hockey, right? And, uh, you know, and they would beat me, and they'd celebrate like crazy, and I'd say every now and then, i go, watch what happens, and I'd beat them. 
and they would start crying <laughs> and everything. But again, uh, it's right the same, no different, right? Learning how to deal with success, learning how to deal with failure, and and being able to do that. I think that's the important thing. To answer your question, uh, they, you know, we joke now. I'll be like, oh, you know, who's the best shooter in the family? And you know, it, I mean, Nick was fifth in the MAC as a freshman in shooting at Niagara three point line, but. You know, I just like giving them the business now. They're, they, you, at this point, you know, I'm too old to be playing anybody right now. But we've had a, a, a million wiffle ball games in the backyard and right. basketball and pig and all that stuff. And we we still do that and have a lot of fun with it. And it's, uh, you know, what better? What better to do? I, I grew up in a family of seven. There are five boys. And that's how kind of how I got into coaching. My, my brothers, I'm coaching my younger brothers. I have an older brother who coach me and it's you know it it was always competitive always competitive it still is you know yeah. when you, do, you get back together and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you can under you can handle it you understand how to handle it you realize the uh you know the, there's a right way to lose and there's a right way to win and uh you know it's going to happen to everybody so you you kind of deal with it but uh yeah uh, coach it, we had uh um ken stoll on and i'm not sure if you know ken stoll he's the head of section six football for yeah. the public schools. Yeah. Um, and we were talking to him and he has two sons um, that have followed him in the football realm. And both of them are coaching at the collegiate level. And we asked similar questions of him. And it's just, for me, it's just exciting to hear you say that as I have, you know, four, four chick kids ages 14 to eight and, you know, getting after it out on the basketball court at our house or taking them on, road trips to AAU events or taking them to camps. It's, it's just amazing. And things, uh, things you never forget, never forget. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we, I remember we went, the Madai team went and played at a uh, tournament, Allegheny college in, uh, in Pennsylvania. And we drove, you know, we, I took three of the three oldest guys and we went down there and, uh, you know, they're staying in the hotel with me. We watched, uh, you know, it was a yep. uh, Kansas Missouri football game. They still talk about. We were watching on TV, and you know, Absolutely. we won the tournament. It was just, there just so many memories like that. But it, you know what? You talk about highlight. And you guys asked me that. I can go down the line, and and just the way these guys have have come up, and it's a real credit to my wife because, uh, you know, I'm not always here, and so to see them and, and what they become is is awesome and my oldest guy matt he went to fairly dickinson out of out of high school and was there for two years decided to transfer he transferred to penn and he yeah. went from playing 30 plus minutes a game at fairly dickinson and starting every game but one in two years his freshman sophomore year to he ended up going uh um he ended up you know becoming a captain of penn and not playing as much but helped lead him to the ncaa tournament so Things, things like that are really awesome and yeah. really cool to see. So just watching them develop, watching them go in their careers. Matt works for the Brooklyn Nets right now. And, oh, wow, nice. You know, so, so he's in the basketball field. So stuff like that is, is pretty cool. Is he in the bubble currently? He is not in the bubble. He did not go to the bubble. He's more of the front office. He does a lot with scouting and stuff. So nice. uh, they can only take 35 people to the bubble. So uh -huh. they have to be judicious on who they took. Nice. 
Coach, we had a uh, same conversation with Ken Stoltz as both of his sons are like in the coaching game right now. And you're talking about how many of your sons are playing at such a high level. Did any of them ever come back and say, hey, dad, you should try this or we do this in practice. Maybe you should give this a shot. And you kind of bounce ideas off of each other. Did that ever that happen a lot? Uh, sure. Definitely did. Because, you know, this is a we talked earlier about stealing, right? And taking plagiarism. And, you know, Matt would play. At Penn, and I would say, Hey, I like what you ran there. What do you do there? And he would break down what they do. You know, I would do that with what Nick does at Niagara. He'll come back. I'll say, What do you do for shooting drills? You know, what do you do there? And what do you do there? And which ones do you like? And, and those type of things. So I think that's, um, it's a great way to learn. You know, mm-hmm. you learn from others. And, and so if they see something, they'll say, Yeah, I'll always listen. You got you to be willing to listen as a coach. So, Coach, in speaking of, like, drills, and I might take this in a little bit of a different direction. I know we're talking a lot of stuff beyond the ball, but for some of our younger listeners that tune in and listen that want to get better and maybe get to that next level, what are some of the things that you would tell, you know, a, a middle school, younger high school player? You said your son's going into his freshman year. What kind of stuff are you giving – him to work on or is he requesting to get his game in shape to maybe make that jump? I think the biggest thing I would tell a coach is fundamentals, 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 you know, teach kids to pass, catch, shoot. Um, everybody likes to shoot now. It's amazing how the game, you see the game change the early 2000s. Everybody wanted to be an Allen Iverson crossover, you know, have their baggy shorts and, and, and try and just make a guy fall. Now it's almost guys want to, shoot a step back like James Harden or Steph mm-hmm. Curry and shoot it from 45 feet, you know. Um, right. But, it's, you know, it, it's, it's just, um, you know, in the end, though, what it comes down to is being able to pass and catch, you know, dribble and shoot, right? Those are the basic, basic things, basic fundamentals are so important. Footwork, footwork is so important. Um, I think it's, it's really important. I a high school coach around here who I really respect used to call, tell my son Matty was the best pivoter he ever saw. And I said, that's a pretty cool compliment. Nobody, like, nobody wants to hear that. You want to hear you're the best dunker, right? Everybody right, wants to hear right. that, but, but pivoting worked for him. He got him, you know, got him an Ivy League education and, <laughs> and it can help. So if you can't jump, you better be able to pivot. And usually what you find is there's always going to be somebody who can jump higher than you. You know, right. somewhere you're going to run into. I think that's probably the the biggest thing for some of our kids is at our level is just making sure that they understand that um, that boring what yeah. they might de- te- deem boring work is is the stuff that the pros just do so well. I remember mm. I've been to a bunch of your practices and games and even NBA games and what these guys do in the pregame is so simple and fundamental. It would make a lot of my high school players jaw drop just because. They're not doing anything special. They're just doing it so perfectly. That's right. That's exactly you know? right. Uh, so, Coach, one last final thing. We're, we're getting on our time here a little bit um, with the development. What is your take on, you know, AAU? I know you said fundamentals are the key, and I know I'm sure your boys played a little bit of AAU, grassroots basketball. Well, What's they, played the a, they played a lot. Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you kind of have to. You, you, know. you do, right? And so, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you think is for maybe some parents that are listening? 
what's the balance look like um, for maybe them? What's your maybe just opinion on that? I think the uh, the balance is you have, you want to find a good program where you're going to play play games, but also practice. Uh, you don't want to be one of those programs where they just go and you know show up to tournaments, play four games in two days, and then go home. Maybe they get a trophy, maybe they don't. But you know, I, I think you got to find a program where, yeah, and you got to watch. You, you know, as a parent, you got to watch what they do in practice. Are they working in practice? Are they doing stuff? Are they trying to get better? I think if you find that, then you'll find that the you're going to find kids who are you know kids who are successful out of that AAU program. And you know, everybody wants to just run up and down and shoot and say, "Well, the high school coach doesn't want to play this way, so the AAU guy will." But I think you know sometimes the best AAU coaches are guys who coach high school too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you look at uh, the amount of touches you can have just getting in a workout compared to like what you said, coach, you know, those teams that just, um, you know, travel and play their three or four games are missing out on so many touches in practice and those meaningful reps. Yep. I would also be careful of, you know, I think you run into sometimes a, you guys want to just play down the level and if they're going to play, if they're going to, you know, they play down so that their kids are all older and then they win a championship and they get that trophy and that's what they want to do and post it on social media. I think instead you got to look and find a place there. Where can, you know, are they playing, am I playing at the right age level? Am I, you know, getting something out of this? Uh, is it, you know, helping me become better? Because if they go to a tournament and they win every game by 45, but they're right. playing younger kids, I don't know if they're really getting anything out of it, you know? And isn't that such a hard conversation to have? I mean, I've coached my son's travel team, 10U, 11U. This year would have been 12U. And you do. You go to these tournaments, and you're playing kids that are two years older. Yep. And, and you get housed by them. And you just want to say to the kids at the end, like, don't worry about it. They're older. You know, we got a little bit better. It really sucks hmm. right now. Yeah, but, but you remember you know, that loss. But but those eleven year olds don't get that. Like yeah. it's so hard to convey that message to, you know, a kid that just loves the game and thinks he's now awful because they lost by forty. You're, you know? you're exactly right, Justin. In fact, I coached my youngest guy Mark last year in the middle. We did like put together like a little travel team for eighth graders, seventh grade going to eighth grade, and we played in a tournament in Buffalo, and a Canadian team came down. Yeah, and I don't know what the exchange rate was on the birth certificate. <laughs> It was, they had guys who were shaving and right. they were, it was like, I'm like, wait a minute, are we in the right gym? I didn't know if we were in place. And, you know, when we were up four and two, I was excited. I'm thinking if we could hold the ball, you know, but we couldn't, they just would dominate us and take the ball away. So, right. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, that's no knock to just Canadian teams. I think teams all over the place are doing that. Cause oh, yeah. it's just, you know, it's just, it's like you said, the social media part in, you know, I, I for everybody that's listening that does coach their kids or coaches AAU, um, I'm always a proponent of coaching for the right reasons and getting yeah. kids better. Because just like those coaching wins don't go on, you know, your record, you know, the wins and losses don't really go on the kids' record either. It's all that's about, right. you know, getting them better in that in that process. But, hey, Coach, we are at our time, but I really want to say thanks for coming on. You have been – uh, a tremendous mentor for me, um, just either at camp or watching how you conduct yourself on the sidelines. It's been, uh, 
you've been very inspirational to me and I just appreciate you coming on, helping us out with this endeavor. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, Coach. Anytime. Good luck this year. So if you, Coach, if you need anything from us moving forward, uh, if we can be of, of service, yeah, good luck to you. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Let's stay safe and let's hope we have a season, right? Yes. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. Take care, Coach. All right, fellas. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. 